Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. James chapter 2, and we'll pick up about halfway through the chapter in verse 14 this week. So I'll read from verse 14 down to the end of the chapter. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. This is the uh, sixth week, sixth installment of our study in the book of James. And um, as we begin the study in James, we begin it. From the beginning, looking at the Father of Lights, but then we applied it in the second week, looking to the the beginning of the book and how James, writing, again a Jewish man, writing to the 12 tribes that were scattered because of the persecution. So again, the early days of the church, the church pretty much comprised of Jews, Israelis, right, Israelites. And so when the persecution came because of the name of Jesus, they were scattered. And so James is writing... Again, this is the first, we believe, first New Testament book that was ever written. And so he's writing to those 12 tribes that are scattered, okay? And as he's writing to those 12 tribes that are scattered because of the persecution, he tells them to consider it joyous, the troublesome situations that they were finding themselves. So again, we're thinking about what he's talking about, okay? Because this trying of their faith was going to be, first of all, the ability to help cause them to be strengthened in their faith, but secondly, that it was going to help them as well reveal their faith. The genuineness of their faith was going to be revealed by how they went through this troublesome situation. We don't always feel very joyous when we have those opportunities, but that's how it plays out. The testing of your faith produced patience that you may be perfect, complete, lack of knowledge. But then he goes on and he instructs them as well that in this, that when, what? Lacking nothing. Sorry, lacking nothing. Thank you. If I say something like that, you need to let me know. So lacking nothing. 
Okay? But then he goes on and he instructs them that in the midst of that then, that they need to be aware that it's not God who is causing these troublesome situations. That God doesn't trouble anyone. Remember, so the word trial and the word temptation are all the exact same word, periosmos, periosmoi, okay, in the Greek. And so he doesn't do that. Rather, we are troubled when we are drawn away of our own burning passions, our own lusts, okay? And so, again, as we saw that, burning passions in and of themselves are not evil. They're not wicked. You can have a burning passion for God, and that's a good thing. But if you have a burning passion for the things of the world, that becomes a bad thing. And so we're drawn away of our misguided burning passions, and then when that happens, then sin comes forth, okay? But God is the giver of every good, morally good gift and every perfect bestowment. As a result of that, then, we have the therefore, verse 21. Therefore, based upon all these things, what should we do? Well, baked into that whole statement up top was what? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Well, how does that play out? Well, therefore, you ought to be doers of the word. Remember, that was inherent in you. Doers of the word and, or doers of the word and not hearers only. Again, what? Deceiving yourself, okay? And so, do not be deceived. That comes from the outside. Don't let anybody deceive you. But the other thing is, you ought to be reading God's word. You ought to be spending time in God's word in order that you don't deceive yourself. Not just others, but yourself. That, that others aren't deceiving you, but then you're not deceiving yourself. Because if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer, you're, you're, you're deceiving yourself. You're like a man who looks himself in a mirror. He sees what he's like. Straightway, he forgets what manner of man he was. And so the doer of the word, on the other hand, though, he continues looking into the perfect law of liberty. So the word of God is considered to be the what? Perfect law of liberty. Now that by itself, again, we talked about it at that point, just seems to be a, a, an oxymoron. We have a perfect law of liberty, okay? And so James now is going to take that concept of a perfect law of liberty, and he's going to start applying it to our lives. And how does that look? So last week we looked at loving without partiality, that if you really have the perfect law of liberty, which we know is loving your neighbor as yourself, but that bleeds into everything, right? Jesus said the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And upon these two commands hang all the law and the prophets, right? And so if you understand those and you are living according to that, then the first thing is going to happen is you're going to love without partiality. You're not going to have any hypocrisy in how you're treating other people. You're not, going to, um, you're not going to look at this group of people any better than you look at that group of people. You're not going to look down on that group of people um, as opposed to another group of people. The specific illustration that he gave was, anybody remember? Rich and poor. Very good, okay? Today, we're going to slide into this second one, and this is faith versus works. And it's because of this section, specifically, um, specifically, that James was also almost not in your Bible, okay? Um, as the, the process of canonicity, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, went on, it was this section of the Bible, of, of, of his letter, which, which almost totally wiped it out of ever being a part. You say, why? So let's talk about that first. Let's talk about the canonicity of the book of James. There were three strikes against it. So that tells you what. Many people wanted it out. First of all, its author was James. James wasn't in the original 
apostle of Jesus Christ. And so there were those who said that in order for it to be considered inspired um, as inspired word of God, they wanted to be written by one of the guys who were specifically taught by Jesus. Okay? We're down to not 12, but 11 at that moment, right? Now, the problem is when you start going there, that means you're not going to count who? Paul. So now you got to make the decision whether Paul was really the 12th in replace of that, and so whether we're going to take his word or not. Um, you're also not going to take Jude, okay? You don't know who Hebrews, written, Hebrews was written by, so they don't want to take Hebrews as well, okay? So the first one is the th author. The second one was the audience, okay? And this looks like the first message I gave when I talked about the intro to the book, right? And that's exactly how it plays out. Well, the second one was the audience. It wasn't written to the church. It was written to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. It was specifically James's writing to who? Israel. Okay? And so that was an issue for them because, well, it's not written to the church. It's not for us. Yeah, this is exactly right. You got to be careful. There are a lot of people out there. I read more, you know, went out looking at modern day views of this uh, this week. And again, there are so many people who hold to the fact they only want to teach from and read from the Pauline epistles. They're the only ones that are for the church. So they want to put James in with the history books. That's the entire Old Testament, the four Gospels, in the book of Acts, in the book of Hebrews. And they're going to throw that in there and lump all that in there and say it doesn't apply to us. At that moment, you might as well lump Jude over there too because Jude is just a brother, uh, a half-brother of Jesus as well, right? And so... Um, and then, oh, and they don't want revelation. They don't want to put revelation in there. But those, those are, tend to be more of the reformed guys who don't believe in the literal version of the revelation anyway. And they want to throw that in there as a, as a history book too. It's just amazing, okay? And so in a lot of churches, if you think about it, when you go there, what are they going to teach from? What are they going to preach from? Only the Pauline epistles. It's hard to find them going to the Old Testament having a series from the Old Testament or having a series from the Gospels or whatever. Because a lot of people don't believe, this is sad, this is, I mean, I, it just boggles my brain that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do not apply to the church. That they don't apply to you at all. Because Jesus was writing to Jews about a millennial kingdom and it has nothing to do with you. And I think, wow, really? God's on the earth and God's talking. I think that's kind of important to me. I want to hear what God on the earth has to say with people on the earth. Anyways, so clearly that's not where I'm at, but you need to understand that's where a lot of people are, and that's where the struggle has been over the millennia for this, okay? Because he wrote to the 12 tribes. He didn't specifically write to the church. Second, thirdly, and the bigger one, is the doctrine. And this is the third strike for many people that would pull them out, and that is prominence is given to works um, which was seen to be at variance with the teachings of grace. And so you can see that they, there are those who have done word studies to prove the case, okay? And so the grace only appears, the word grace, so you understand, not concept of grace, the word grace, only appears twice in the book of James. But in the other 20 epistles, it, it occurs 105 times. So if you take those other, take that other occurrence and you divide that out, that means that in those other 20 epistles, it occurs how many times? Five times each. So some of those epistles are a whole lot bigger than James. Some of those are smaller. But even if we don't talk about that, we're talking about the fact that James used the word grace three times less than another writer. Therefore, he must not be believing in grace. He uses the word Jesus 
Jesus specifically, not Lord, not this or whatever, just specifically Jesus. He only uses that word twice, whereas it's used 271 times in the other epistles. So clearly he's not talk, he doesn't talk about Jesus at all. Well, he does right from the beginning, the very first verse. What does he say? He's a bondservant. He's a slave of Jesus. That's a huge statement because he was one of the guys who didn't believe in Jesus, his own very half-brother, before Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection. And that goes as well back to the author, okay? I mean, when we read 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives testimony that it was to James that, that, that Jesus especially appeared. Faith or belief, the word faith or belief, again, that's the word pistis or pistuo, okay, in the Greek. Anyways, the word faith or belief appears 19 times, and I want you to think about this one, it appears 19 times in the book of James, whereas it only appears 202 times in the other 20 epistles. So divide that one out, and how many times you got in the other epistles? 10, but it appears 19 times in the book of James. But... 17 of those 19 times, he's using them in a way that we think is negative. Therefore, they don't count. So it really goes against the score, not for the score. Make sense? So again, here's my point. This is a valid, valid um, issue that's there, okay? However, I believe, this, you make, it, make your decision, I believe that every book that's in the New Testament and the Old Testament that God has sovereignly watched over to make sure that's in there, okay? And what we're going to go to next is the conundrum of faith versus works. And we're going to, and what I hope to show you is that this is not a conundrum of the book of James. This is actually very clear throughout the whole New Testament and that this issue is not a big issue. It's there, but you need to understand that it is a big issue for a lot of people, okay? This faith versus works issue. So the conundrum, let's talk about the conundrum. Okay, faith versus works. And it comes specifically right there in the beginning. Okay, look at verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Here's the statement. Can faith save him? Can faith save him? Now, again, reality is that those who are saying, well, he's using it in a negative term, in a negative way, in a sense, they're right. It's really okay. Just deal with it for a moment, okay? Can faith save him? That's what, that's what James is really saying. Can faith alone really save a man, okay? And so at that moment, the people who believe in uh, sola fidelis, faith alone, they cry, foul, foul. And honestly, we should be crying what? Foul, foul as well, okay? If you don't, understand it in its context. That's exactly right. Context is huge. One of the first things that God taught me way back many, many years ago when I was first saved and I was moving into ministry, okay, he used a couple different words for me, um, but the first one was the word context. I needed to understand God's word in its context. Context is extremely important. First of all, you take a verse, you need to understand it in what it's saying within that verse, but then what it's saying within the paragraph, then what it's saying within the, if you would, chapters, okay, although they didn't have chapter, but then what it's saying within the letter that was there, and then what's it saying, and so if it's a, a Pauline kind of concept, something that Paul wrote, what is it, does it go along with what Paul says in the other, his other letters, okay, and then what's it say in regard to all the New Testament, and then what's it say in regard to the entire Bible, do you understand? And you want it, that's why it's important to understand the historical 
um, culture what's going on when someone is writing because you want to understand it in its proper context, okay? So we need to understand the context of this statement being made. But the first place I want to start then is not with James because James is controversial, right? And so well, how are we going to start there? We're going to come back to James in a moment. What I want to do is I want to look at this concept from the rest of the Bible, okay? So we're going to have go through uh, seven verses, eight, nine verses as we come through. So they're all up there. So let's go. Romans chapter one, okay? Verse 16 and 17, you all know this one very well, I'm sure, Okay? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, what's it? The gospel. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who what? Believes. Now remember what I talked about last week or two weeks ago or whatever it was. um, That the word faith and belief are the exact same words. Okay? So pistis is the noun form. Pistuo is the verb form, okay? So instead of saying to all who believe, you could literally say to all who have faith in. Does it make sense? Okay, because that's what it means, okay? So if you don't mind, when I go through some of these things, I'm, I'm going to, if I remember, do that so that we have the same words in our brain. Because if I hear belief and I have faith, sometimes we have a dichotomy in our brain, but in the Greek, it was the exact same concept, okay? So, so back to Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who has faith in it, for the Jews first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, believing in, to faith, believing in, right? As it is written, the just shall live by faith, okay? So what do we know right off the bat from this this epistle? It's all about what? Faith, okay? That salvation comes, justification comes by what? Faith. Nowhere in here does Paul talk about what? Works. Works, okay? So let's go on. Say in Romans, go to Romans chapter 3. And again, I could go to a lot of other passages. Clearly, I'm choosing these for a reason, okay? So, you know, I put it out there. You know, it's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm leading us someplace, okay? So uh, fear marketing. So Romans three twenty one. But now the righteousness of God, apart from... The law, and we equate law with what? Works. Works. Okay, you can't necessarily do that. I'm going to show you that at the end. Okay, I can't read works in there. It's apart from the law. Okay, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through what? Faith in Jesus Christ to to all and on all who what? Have faith in Christ. Okay, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be the just and the justifier, that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded By what? Law. Of works? See, now he's defining what he's talking about this moment. Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith, what? Apart from the deeds of the law. Here, I don't have a problem. You change the word deeds into what? Works. Okay? That a man is justified by faith 
apart from the works, the deeds of the law. It's not looking too good for James right now. Okay? Let's go on to Galatians chapter 2. Now, you need to understand one of the biggest proponents of trying to kick James out of the Bible uh, during the Reformation period was, um, was Martin Luther. And um, Martin Luther, was, if, you, if there's a, 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 a verse or a phrase that would, would um, represent Martin Luther, is that the just shall live by faith, okay? That was if, you know, here I stand, the just shall live by faith. And that was his, the biggest battle that he had with the Roman church, okay? Was that the Roman church was looking at salvation by works, by what they did, whereas he understood now from God's word that it was by faith, okay? And so he then felt like James confused the issue, and so he wanted James out of the Bible, you know, that he wanted the, the Bible redone and James to be gone, okay? Galatians chapter 2, beginning of verse 15 we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. That's really prejudicial, isn't it? Anyways, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles know that a man is not justified by what? Works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed or had faith in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Do you think he's trying to uh, hammer a point here? Three times within those little verses, he says three times, right? That you're, you're saved by faith, not by works of the law. But, verse 17, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. So stop for a moment. He's starting to build his, explain his case. Okay? If I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might, what? Live to God. What's living to you? Say again. Doing, Doing things. If you're laying in your bed, are you really living? We say, no. I mean, you're living physically, but you're not what? You're not out doing things. Life, we understand, is a, is a series of events, is a series of things that you are what? Doing, okay? So he says, for I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but now Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So what is Paul now, bringing Romans into this, what is Paul, because now he clarifies, he clarifies this, what is he talking about when he's talking about deeds of the law? What's the, whole, what's the whole point? Keeping the Mosaic law. Keeping Mosaic law for what purpose? For salvation. Do you get it? To have your own self-righteousness in order to merit salvation. And what's he saying? You can't do it. 
Rather, we know that the, 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 the law was given to us as a, as a tutor, as a schoolmaster, to do what? To bring us to Christ, to show us that we couldn't do it. The whole idea was to expose our sin, that we couldn't come to Christ. And so if you are trying to live the law in order to come to Christ, to be righteous, it's never going to work. So if you, by faith, have come to Christ, and you set that aside, and now you're going to go get circumcised, and you're going to try to start living by the law, then what? You're going to fail. You're right back to where you started from. Why are you doing it? That's what he's saying, okay? So let's go, while we're in Galatians, let's skip Ephesians 2, and let's go to Galatians 5. You guys know this one. And I'm, it says 1 to 26, I mean that, so let me read like the FedEx guy, okay? That's an old commercial for some of you, you know, gray heads, you might understand that. Younger ones are going, huh? Anyways, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who became circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become, in other words, because you got circumcised in order to do what? To keep the law, because you thought that's how you had to come to Jesus. Well, at this point, you've now become debtor to the whole law. You're in trouble. Do you realize before, even as a Gentile, even before you came to know Jesus as your Savior, you had to keep the whole law? And that's why Paul says in Romans 3 that um, all have what? Sin and come forth. All have, if you would, broken the law. That's why James 2, last week we talked about, though you keep the whole law and yet you offended at one point, you're guilty of? Of it all. I mean, you get it? This is the whole point. You can't do it. You just can't do it. So it keeps going on. Um, Verse 5, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. We'll talk about that concept next week when we talk about being not many teachers. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would have been cut themselves off. Think about what they're saying there, okay? For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That sounds like doing stuff, doesn't it? For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, adultery, sorcery, hatred, you get all those, okay? Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, now we talk about the works of the, the flesh, now we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. What would you say fruit is here? works. It's the outworkings, if you would, okay? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no 
law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also what? Walk. Again, doing. You get how this is playing out, right? A theme, Ephesians 2, 4 to 10. Again, a passage that you all know. I'm preaching to the choir, but maybe someone's getting something new, okay? Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, it's not of works. Well, there we go. Boom, stop, right? It's not of works, lest any man should what? Boast. But then he continues on, doesn't he? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, walking again in them. Let's go to Titus 1. Do you know how hard it is for me not to be making, making comments all the time coming through these? Titus 1, 15 and 16. Marsh is probably amazed and flabbergasted up here going, I can't believe he's flying through these things. Titus 1, beginning of verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is what? Pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God. Is it starting to tep, step on toes? They profess to know God, but in their, their what? Their works. They what? They deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Who's writing this letter? Paul. You swore it was James for a moment there, wouldn't you? They profess to know God, but in their works, they what? They deny him. Hmm. First John 1. Let's go there. These three passages. These are ouches. Okay. And we'll come back then to James. First John 1, verses 5 to 7. This is the message which we have heard from him, that is Christ, and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we are walking in darkness, we what? We lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Drop down to chapter two, verses three to six. Now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments... He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, those would be considered works, I think, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Drop down just a couple verses to nine. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going, because the darkness has what? Blinded 
his eyes. So what do we see from all these passages? Clearly we're saved by what? Faith alone. Sola fidelis. It's faith alone. You cannot do anything to earn your salvation. But what's going to happen when sola fidelis happens? When faith alone happens, what's going to happen in a person's life? Your works will begin to show it. Your life is going to change in some manner where all of a sudden things are going to start looking different to you. You're going to start thinking differently, right? Go back to our end slide every week, right? Is there a need to change the way you think? Metanoia, that's the word for repent that we see that John preached, Jesus preached, Peter preached, Paul preached. Change the way you think. Because if you change the way you think, you'll ultimately change the way you act. That would be what works. So now we come to James from this conundrum now into the consternation of, it, of the whole thing. Because we don't want to think this through. We really, it would be nice to get rid of this in order for us to stand fast in the liberty so we can do whatever we want to do. And I won't be accountable to anything that God says. So if I want to go to the bar and drink with the guys, I can go to the bar and drink with the guys. And I'm not worried about any conscious problem with, with before God. If I want to have multiple encounters with multiple women, I can do that because I'm not under the law. Make sense? I'm under liberty. I stand fast in my liberty. I'm giving God glory. So Paul says, going into Romans chapter 6 from Romans chapter 5, so shall I continue in sin that grace may abound. And what's he say? Megan, it's hey, may it never be so. We bring that into the English as, God forbid. May it never happen that way. It's not what it should happen that way. It's not should be, right? And so, true faith will produce true works. What you believe will affect what you do. You're riding down the road, and you see the sign. Bridge out. You don't see the bridge out. But they have a sign for you that says what? Detour. Go this way because the bridge is out. Now, when you're riding down the road and you see that sign, are you going to go, oh man, I can't believe this is stupid. And then you're going to make the right hand turn and go around it, being aggravated that, you know, that thing wasn't on Google. And so now all of a sudden you're 20 minutes out of the way from where you're going to do. That's probably what you're going to do, right? Are you going to barrel through the sign? Because you believe the sign. You don't see the bridge out. You don't know the bridge is out. All you read was this little bitty sign. Somebody could be calling it, doing a little April Fool's prank going on, right? We're just going to do it in the middle of July. We'll put up a couple signs, see how many people turn the other way. Ah, look at it. And then you're going to be on Facebook or one of those candid camera things, all these people going the other way, wasting 20 minutes at a time. When the bridge really is in, they didn't check it out. What you believe will affect what you do. How many of you believe in gravity? Oh, look at you. This is amazing, isn't it? I could do this out in the world. And because of your belief, you're not going to step off the side of the roof. Yeah? I mean, honestly, when you get close to the side of the roof, no, I've seen people who are like, they're walking out there in that two by four, and it's like, you know, like, and some of you, if you know who I'm talking about, you know who I'm talking about. Anyways, and it's just amazing to watch guys do this, and it's like, you're nuts. I had to tell one guy when we were building my, the, my shed in the back, don't do that. I said, because... You may go to a better place. That's what his comment was. But I got to live with what I, what I watched. So 
I don't want to see you do it. Stay on here on, the, on, the, on, the, on this firm ground. Because I what? I believe strongly in gravity. And regardless of what's going to happen, if you go a little bit this way or a little bit that way, gravity is going to have a significant pull on you. Now, I want you to think about gravity like you think about God. Gravity is not God. But can you see God? No, you can't see God. You see what God has done, and it points to the fact that there's a God. But like gravity, you don't see gravity, but you see the effects of gravity, right? You throw the ball up, and it keeps going. Wow. I guess it changed. No, gravity doesn't what? Change. It's the same yesterday as it is today, and it is forever from that perspective, okay? Right? Well, this is the same way. Whether people can say, well, I don't see them. <laughs> you don't see gravity. Do you believe in gravity? Go walk off this side of the roof. Go say, I don't. everybody talks about this gravity thing, but I don't believe there's really a gravity thing. People say the bridge is out, but I don't believe it. <laughs> That's just like in real life. I don't believe there's a God. <laughs> Run through it, and, and they're in hell for all eternity. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. I can't see your faith. But I really can see your faith, can't I? Because what you believe in is going to be evidenced in your life. If Israel really believed that God would hold them accountable for keeping the Sabbaths, would they have kept the Sabbath day? Would they have kept the Sabbath year? They would have. And so we talked about it in Sunday school. So if you weren't in Sunday school, you're allowed to answer this. If you were in Sunday school, you can't answer this one, okay? Why was it that the nation of Israel was put into exile for 70 years? Tell me that again. Because they missed that many Sabbaths, not days, but years. For 490 years, Israel chose not to observe the Sabbath year. And they missed once or twice. And probably a lot of them said what? Ah, see, God's not going to do anything about it. And they played the game. And then all of a sudden, God sold them over into exile for 70 years. And you can read it in the Bible. One year for every year of Sabbath, Sabbath years that they didn't hold to. And he gave the land the rest that the, that the, the people wouldn't give it. That was evidence. The 70 years of exile was evidence that what God says, he means. Anybody know who Ananias and Sapphira are? Who's Ananias and Sapphira? Who are they, Joseph? They blasphemed the Holy Spirit, yes. But why did they die? Just for blaspheming the Holy Spirit, what did they, why did they die? They lied. What did they lie about? How much they gave. How much they, actually, how much they sold the property for. And so they, they had made a promise to God, it must have been public for everybody to know, that they were going to sell this property and, and all the proceeds that came from it, they were going to give to the church. Regardless, it doesn't matter. They might have given 99%. They might have only given 9%. I don't know. They might have given a 99.5%. But they didn't give all. They didn't do what they said. And for that, they were killed by God, not by Peter. Peter was the one who voiced it. 
Okay, and so Ananias dies. He's carried out to be buried. His wife comes in later. She confirms the whole thing. She dies. That, again, was a substance, an evidence of the existence of God and that he means what he says. Are you tracking with me here? What we believe will affect what we do. Your faith will produce, your true faith will produce true works. That's what fruit of the Spirit is. That's the Holy Spirit really living inside you. If you're really a believer, if you really know him as your Savior, then he comes to live inside of you. And if he comes to live inside you, he begins to clean you out. Because remember, again, the predestined purpose that God has for believers is to conform them to the image of Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Philippians 1 says that he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it to the day of Christ. And then it says in chapter 2 that it is he who puts in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. Do you get it? Again, what God says he's going to do, he what? He does. Do you really believe it? So, so here's the deal. Paul's, Paul, James now is going to give four illustrations of what this looks like. This is how it plays out. You know, can faith really save you? Well, the answer is yes. However, if it's really true faith, it's going to be what? It's going to be seen. And so he goes into these illustrations. The first one is the body. And so verses 15 and 17, 15 through 17, he says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What's he saying? Again, what John said. We read it in John, John 1 John chapter 2. If you don't love your brethren... How can you say you love God? And you can continue on in 1 John, where he literally says that in 1 John chapter 3. If you, if you do not love the ones that you can see, how can you ever say you love the one you cannot see? But if you really love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like unto it, you will love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you're not loving your neighbor as yourself, and make that even more uh, personal, you're not loving the people who love Jesus. This is your family. Right? I mean, think about that. If anything happens to your neighbors, that's one thing you might help. But if something happens to your brother or your sister, I'm talking about physical blood, okay? Or whatever, you're going you're gonna to drive wherever, you're going to fly wherever, you're going to be wherever because you're going to be with them. But in Christ, that's who we are. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been adopted and given the name of God. You all are more kin than blood kin who don't know Jesus. Hmm. That's a hard thing. It was a hard thing for Marsha and I. Because when we first were saved, I, I, I can't say that I, I honestly could tell you that there was anybody else in my family that was saved or her family that was saved. The church became our, our family. We get it. This is family. This is kin. And praise the Lord, I've seen my families getting saved, okay? And so that's kind of cool from that perspective. But the reality is, that this is family. That's why it's called Family Bible Church. I didn't name it. One of my mentors, who was an independent Baptist pastor for 50 years, boom, 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 okay? When, when this, it was apparent that this was going to start, he's the one who named it. 
because he knew how important that was to me. This is family. And this is exactly what James is saying. Look, if somebody in your family, in the church, they got a need. And you don't do anything to help them? You better check your faith to find out if it's real. Because somebody who really loves Jesus is going to love like Jesus. And they're going to want to minister to the individual. The demons. The demons. I mean, you remember what happened, right? Jesus goes across the lake, calms the storm, and after that they continue on to the gatherings, right? They get to the gatherings and they're met by either two guys or one guy with multiple demons, right? His name is what? Legion, right? Because there are what? Many. And and this guy comes down to the shore. I mean, he's naked. He's full of frenzy. Everybody's afraid to go into that area because he breaks chains and everything. But he, Jesus steps onto the shore. This guy comes flying down. I can't imagine what it was like to be a disciple that day. They're probably thinking Jesus is going to get torn to peace. <laughs> this frenzied, naked guy comes flying down at Jesus and he falls at his knees. And he says, what are we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Have you come to throw us into the pit before our time? Can you imagine Peter, James, and John after their knees were done shaking going, ooh, that's pretty cool. But even the demons knew who he was. Say again. And trembled. They trembled. They didn't have true faith. Now, I want you to think about this. Sound pretty true to me, right? They knew exactly who he was. But they had never committed their life to him. Rather, they made a decision to go the other way. Before I got saved, I could tell you exactly who Jesus was. I could tell you that he was God on the earth, that he died on the cross, that he was buried for three days, according to the scriptures, and that he was raised from the dead, according to the scriptures. I could tell you that he walked on the earth for 40 days and then he was ascended. I could tell you that the Holy Spirit came out. I knew all those things intellectually. I had all those facts. Do you believe that? Yeah, I believe that. In fact, I was asked, if, it, if you died today, where are you going to go? I'm going to go to heaven. Why are you going to go to heaven? If anybody's going to heaven, I'm going to heaven. I mean, come on. I've been to church every Sunday. I mean, I could quote you, even at that time, I probably could quote you the, the books of the Bible. Because we had a good Sunday school teacher. She taught us the books of the Bible. Though I didn't necessarily ever hear the gospel, whether it was preached or not, I can't tell you. Whether I didn't really ever receive the gospel and didn't know the gospel. I didn't live according to the gospel. You know, people at church thought I was a good guy. But people at school thought I was a good guy. You understand the difference between those two, right? I mean, the guys I was selling the stuff to and, and smoking it with, they thought I was a good guy too. True faith produces true works. What you believe will affect what you do. The demons were angels, like all the other angels. But they chose to follow Lucifer rather than Yahweh. They tremble because they know what their choice in the end is going to bring. Abraham, 
Now, this is a struggle one for us, too, because look, we know exactly where the quote comes from. And Abraham believed after God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. That comes from Genesis 15. God takes him outside. He says, look at the stars. Gen- Abraham's struggling. The, the, heir of my, the heir of my house at this moment is going to be the, a steward of my house. It's going to be a servant in my house. God takes him outside. Yahweh takes him outside and says, no, no, Abraham, it's not that way. Abraham, it's not that way. Right? He says, look at the stars. Count the stars if you can so will be the descendants that come from you. And we're told at that very moment, Abraham believed Yahweh, and Yahweh accounted to him for righteousness. James, though, brings in Genesis chapter 20, right? 22. And that's when Yahweh, now Isaac, Isaac's born, Isaac's grown, he's about 12, 13 years old, and Yahweh comes to Abraham and says to him what? I want you to take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, Don't forget the details of that. Take your son, your only son, the one whom you love. Yahweh is building up the thing for him here, okay? And I want you to take them to the mountain that I was going to show you. That's Mount Moriah, by the way. I'm going to take them to the mountain I will show you, and I want you to offer them there as a sacrifice for me. And the next thing we're told, now, if you ever watch the TNT version of of, um, Abraham, it's done very, very well. They have him at that moment when, they, when he hears the voice of God telling him to do that. He cries out, Why? I think probably did. I don't know what he said, but there's probably a little bit more in, in the Bible there. But the next thing we're told in the Bible is that Abraham rose up early the next day. He rose up early the next day. I think I'd have slept in. Maybe God's going to change his mind in the morning. Maybe it was the pepperoni pizza I had last night. You know, maybe I'm going to get a different voice. I'm going to hear a different vision. I want to give God a chance to change. He didn't. He set the alarm early. I don't know how they did that out in the desert, right? He gets up early. Yeah, I know. But you can't set the rooster to go off when you want it to go off, right? And so he gets up early, and he goes to take care of what God has told him to take care of. His actions, his works, were based on his faith to the point where they're going there and his son Isaac says, Father, I I, I see the fire and I see the wood. But we're missing an important part of a sacrifice. We're missing a lamb. Where is the sacrifice? Well, you're it, son. He didn't say that to him. What does he say? God himself will provide the lamb. And when he get there, he ties up his son after he builds the altar. His son helps build the altar, really, that he's going to die on. How, how is that amazing that? I mean, I'm impressed with Isaac during this whole thing, okay? And, and he picks him up and he puts him on the altar. And when he raises the knife to complete the deed, that's when God stops him. God himself will provide the lamb isn't just a statement that there's going to be a ram in the bush. Is that even if I kill you, God's going to fulfill his promise that he has made. And he is able to raise you up because you are the one. Now, he doesn't say all that, but that's what's being stated. You are the one that he promised. What Abraham believed was born out in what he did. That's what James is saying. If he didn't do that, if he failed that test, we wouldn't be talking about this. But that's exactly why we talk about 
what Abraham believes because it affected what he did. Finally, Rahab. Again, all of Jericho knows what happens. She says it. She tells him, look, everybody in the city knows what happened in Egypt. We know what, what's happened with, the, with the, the kings all along. That's why the doors are shut. Everybody's afraid. They're in fear. But they're not turning back over to who? To Yahweh. But she does. She knows he's the one true God. She's a harlot. She's a harlot. She's not the one you would expect to be involved in this, but she is. And God sovereignly leads the spies to her house. Isn't that kind of cool? I believe because God knows she has true faith. And he's going to deliver her in the midst of all this thing. She hides them. What if they were found in her house? Yeah, not only they, the spies are killed, but she's killed. She put her life on the line. What she believed affected what she did. Faith without works is dead. And that's when we get into this summary then, this conclusion. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. If there's ever a time when I'm preaching hard, it's going to be a passage like this. I do not want to get to heaven and find out that any one of us were fakes. That you were adokimas. That you were not genuine. God knows your heart, not me. You don't have to prove anything to me. You don't have to prove anything to anybody in here. But if between you and God, you know you're not right. I don't think I shared my um, testimony song last week, did I? So I'm going to sing it for you, Acapulco. I wrote this many, many years ago. And it, our life passage was James 1, 22, 25. I looked in the mirror of my soul, and I couldn't believe my eyes. A life that was full of double standards, and a life that was full of lies. Trying hard to be what I was not, seeking only the glory of men. Looking deep into an empty well to find only a bucket of sin. For then, oh, I did find a blessed peace from the well of the perfect word. My mask pulled off before an omniscient God, cleansed by the blood of the Lord. Now a doer, not only a hearer, the wood, hay, and stubble aside. The new man put on, and now I will stand. In his presence I will abide. I said a prayer off the back of a chick track when I was 12 or 13 years old. If I get to heaven to find out if I was saved back then, that's pretty cool. I read my Bible a little bit after that. I still have it up there. It's a living Bible. I have verses that are, are underlined from Proverbs and Mark where I, I know that was during that time. But then my acne went away and I became a, a human again. Teenagers, you get that. 
And girls were interested in me, and then I got involved with things that I thought I'd never get involved with, drugs and that kind of stuff, and selling it, and um, getting caught with possession and all that kind of stuff. My life went totally the other way. When I got saved in my younger 20s, I realized, if, I said to God, if you could save this wicked soul, I'm yours. The attitude of my heart changed. And that's all I can tell you. Sin bothered me before, only if I got caught. I only worried about sin, about not getting caught. But now, whether I get caught or not, the Holy Spirit convicts me. And it bothers me that I disobeyed my daddy, my Abba, my father. There's a relationship. Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, this is life eternal, that they may know you, not know about you, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life is not knowing about God. It's not reading the word. It's not studying the word. It's not going to church. It's not being in a family that's a Christian family. It's not going to Christian schools. It's not, we don't do Halloween. It's not that. I don't care what you play into it. It's not that. It is a relationship with the God of the universe that begins with a humbling of the heart and the acknowledgement that you're a worm, that you have no right to claim him except for what he has done for you. In Luke 18, I, I think it might be verse 7, I don't know, it's the end of the, the parable that he gives about the, the woman, the widow, who continues to nag the judge till he does what she wants. And it's a very, just a phrase tagged on to the end that Jesus says, you know, if the unjust judge will do this, will not your Father in heaven do what is right for you? But then he tags on, and when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I don't think he's talking about a generic Christian belief system. I think he's talking true faith. Jesus, why couldn't we cast these demons out? This kind only comes by prayer and fasting. So I'm asking you the question that I ask myself a lot. Are you playing a game? Are you just playing a game? Or is it real right in here? What you believe will affect what you do. What about your life? So in the end, oops. what do your works reveal about your faith? Is your faith evidenced by your lifestyle and your life choices? What does the substance of your life reveal about your faith? Is your belief 
an intellectual assent or heartfelt commitment and conviction. Is there then a need to change the way you think and then change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness to us. You are a God of grace. And you opened up the way for us to come to you by faith alone. Not by our works, because by our works we'll be condemned. We continually prove over and over again that we are not as perfect as you. And yet you call for us to be holy as you're holy. To be set apart as you're set apart. And that you have declared, Lord, that the things that we do will bear witness to what we really believe. And yet I know there are a lot of people who may try to do the things in order to punch the ticket to make it seem like maybe they have the right faith and that by itself is wrong too. You've said that some are going to come to you on that day and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Do we not do all these wonderful things in your name? And you're going to say, depart from me. I didn't know you. God, I pray that I would grow in your grace and knowledge. Lord, that I wouldn't be content with just knowing about you. But Lord, that in my walk with you, my relationship with you, that I would become deeper in love with you every day. And I pray that for each individual that's here, Lord, that if anybody's here today and it's just pretend, Lord, that they would take that before you and that they would call upon your name and, and truly be saved and that their lives would be transformed by your grace. Lord, that we would not be a group of pretenders but of true disciples. For your glory in Christ's name, amen.